Hey, good morning, Grace Hill. It's good to see all of you this morning. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and just uh, grateful to see all of you. Hope to meet you if you're new uh, afterwards in the lobby. If you have a Bible, uh, Psalm chapter 6 is where we're going to start this morning, and then we'll be heading over to the Gospels, Matthew and Luke as well, for a good portion of our time in the scripture this morning, um, I, wanna, I wanna begin with this. Uh, if, if you have been hurt by the church, or if you have been disappointed in the church, uh, my prayer this morning as we look in the scriptures is that your soul would be ministered to this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God for that. You know, when you uh, preach the Psalms, um, it's, it's tricky. It's not the easiest uh, book in the Bible to preach, and there's many reasons for that. One, sometimes the Psalms are really long, and there's just a lot in there. And so it's, okay, how do I take this entire thing and, and try to explain it or help us to read it and understand it in, in just 30 minutes or so. And so a lot of times you can't do that. So you just kind of pick and choose portions of the Psalm to really focus in on. The other reason is that there's just a lot going on in these Psalms. I think one of the things we've been saying as we've been preaching through the Psalms is that the Psalms are all over the place because we're all over the place. And these Psalms are a collection of prayers to God that kind of run the whole gamut of human emotion and experience, offering that to God. And, and Psalm 6 has all of it. And so it's, sometimes it's like, okay, where, where do I focus in? And so I want you to know this morning, we're going we're gonna to read all of Psalm 6 right now together. And then what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on a specific verse, a particular verse that Jesus quotes from three times in the Gospels. And so we're gonna, we're gonna use that to transport us over to the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels and see what that has to say to us uh, this morning. So let me, let me pray one more time. Mel just prayed for us, but I wanna pray. And then let's read Psalm 6 together. God, my, my prayer is, is exactly what I just stated, that um, Lord, if there are people here listening in whatever format um, that just have a hard time trusting your church for whatever reason, I pray that you would very gently minister to them this morning. And God, I pray that for us here at Grace Hill, you would, you would give us a conviction behind what you have called us to do and how you have called us to do it despite all of the people who will try and stop us. Just ask for that grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter six, it's a psalm of David. David writes this as the king of Israel. He says, verse one, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? 
return, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. King David writes this psalm as the king of Israel. And so he himself is the representative here on earth of of the kingdom of God and, and what the kingdom of God is like. And if you read the scriptures, God gives instructions to his people, both Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New. He gives instructions to his people, to us, on, on what it means to represent his kingdom and what it means to have faith in him, like what the will of God for your life is. And that's a question we always think of. What is the will of God for my life? And I want to tell you this morning, this, the answer is very simple, and yet there's going to be a lot of people who are going to try and stop you. What's interesting about Psalm chapter 6 is that David displays this kind of childlike faith. You know, he, he, he's the king of Israel, but he, but he goes to God, he begins with repentance, and he's, God, you know, discipline me not in your wrath, be gracious to me, save me by your steadfast love. But he also offers to God where he's at. I'm drenching my bed with tears, I'm experiencing grief, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, and he's going to God with all of these things, And he's saying there are people, enemies, who are attacking, enemies who are trying to stop me from doing the things that you have called me to do. And yet this childlike faith comes in when he says, and I know you have heard my prayer. I know that you hear me. I know that the things that I pray to you matter to you and that you're going to protect me as I do the things that you have called me to do. What's interesting is here in verse eight, where he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, three times Jesus quotes this verse in the Gospels. All three times Jesus refers to a specific enemy of the kingdom of God. I think Jesus relates with David in Psalm 6. He is the son of God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was sent to accomplish a particular mission, to go to the cross, to forgive us of our sins, to invite us into the kingdom. And so he's doing his ministry He's fulfilling the will of God, and there are lots of people who are trying to stop him in the Gospels. 
And as we read the three different times verse eight is quoted by Jesus, we get an example of what these enemies are like, these, these enemies of the kingdom. And so here's, here's what I wanna do this morning. I want us to compare and contrast the faith of David and I think also the faith in the life of Jesus as he relates with David in Psalm 6. And I wanna compare and contrast that to the enemies of the kingdom and the kind of faith that they have in God. We're gonna go to those three passages in the Gospels and we're just gonna do some compare and contrast. And here's what I think we're going to see. Is that, I already said it, David, as a representative of God's kingdom, displays childlike faith in God. Childlike faith in God. We are called to have childlike faith. That's Mark chapter 10, verse 15, right? Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What is childlike faith? Childlike faith is kind of this uncalculated trust in something while at the same time feeling the safety to express all that you are to that thing. It's like the other day with my daughter, uh, she asked me this question. Like I realized she has no idea how food gets on the table. Like zero idea the process through which I procure food and give it to her. So she asked me the other day when we were checking out at the grocery store what I was doing when we were checking out and I was swiping my card and doing all of that. She, she had been with me a million times at the grocery store. Finally, she's like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? And she assumed that you just go to the grocery store, pick out what you want and leave. That there's no money involved, there's no need to earn money, no need to provide, it's just there, right? But she doesn't need to know that yet because she has childlike faith in me and in her mom to provide for her, to put food on the table. She doesn't need to know all the ins and outs of how it works. She doesn't have a philosophy of how we provide food. There's no protocol in her mind that we have to follow. She just assumes we're gonna provide for her. And at the very same time, she feels every bit of safety to express to us everything that she feels and thinks, right? Childlike faith. We're called to have that in God. And I think the kind of faith we're gonna see that the enemies of the kingdom have, because by the way, it is a kind of faith, is a childish faith. What's the difference between childlike and childish? Well, childish faith, I think, I believe, is kind of the, I want what I want, I don't care what you have to say, and if I don't get it, I'm gonna throw an epic temper tantrum. Right? That's childish faith. I don't trust you to give me what I want, and so I'm gonna whine and complain until I get it. And I think the enemies of the kingdom are gonna display childish faith. Three times that Jesus quotes Psalm 6, verse 8 in the New Testament. And I think in these three times, we get an example of enemies of the kingdom who seek to stop God's people from doing what God has called them to do. 
First one, Matthew chapter seven. By the way, there's three of them. Uh, Two of them are short and one of them's long, and we're just gonna read all of them. Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 to 23. Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, the the one who fulfills the call that I've put on them as representatives of my kingdom. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, Q Psalm 6 verse 8, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In this first one, we've got people who are coming to the Lord, probably Jews and Pharisees and religious folks of the day who were questioning Jesus, but eventually maybe came around and and maybe began to believe that Jesus was indeed their Messiah. That's indicated by the fact that these people are calling Jesus Lord, the Greek word kurion, the the proper name for Jesus as the Messiah of the Jewish people. So they're indicating by their words that they have good doctrine. Lord, Lord, did we not do ever? Look at all these things we did for you. And he's like, you didn't fulfill the will of God, though. We'll get to what that means. Matthew chapter 25, probably one of the more alarming scriptures in all of the Bible, verses 31 to 46 Jesus is teaching when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Like, I don't, we don't remember doing that to you. Verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, as you did it to the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized in your society, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me. Cue Psalm 6, verse 8. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Let's just keep going. It won't be on the screen. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. And sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or strange or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Lord, when did we not do that? 
Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Last one, Luke chapter 13. Verses 22 to 30. Jesus is teaching again. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and and you taught in our streets. Jesus, you know us. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Psalm 6 verse 8. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God and behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Jesus is saying, there's gonna be people who think because of my tradition, because of my heritage, because of my upbringing, because of my pedigree, because of all of the things that I have done, of course I'm gonna be first in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is gonna say, if that's what you're looking at, I don't know who you are. But there will be people from the north and south and east and west, Gentiles from other nations who don't have your tradition, don't have your heritage, don't have your pedigree, and they're gonna be first in my kingdom. Because just having a tradition and a heritage doesn't mean you're fulfilling the will of God. So Jesus says, depart from me. I think Jesus relates with David in Psalm 6. David is a representative of God's kingdom, the king of Israel. There are enemies trying to stop him from doing the things that he has been called to do. And he prays to God about it. And then you have Jesus as he is doing the things that God has called him to do as the literal son of God. You have people trying to stop him from doing the things that he has been called to do. And he prays Psalm 6, 8, and he recites it to his enemies to leave. You know what's scary about the enemies of the kingdom? At least the ones that we read about in the Gospels is that they're viewed as insiders. Oh, it's popular in the church to talk about enemies on the outside who are gonna persecute us, they're gonna take away our rights. But when Jesus quotes Psalm 6, 8, he's not looking to the outside, he's looking to the inside. And as I think about the church today, it don't think it has changed. There are enemies within the church, Big C Church, all of us, not just Grace Hill. And they have a unique ability to bind your conscience and make you feel like you're doing something wrong when you're doing the exact thing that Jesus has called you to do. They have childish faith that throws temper tantrums when they don't get their way 
And especially when they see the church of Jesus Christ doing the exact thing that Jesus has called them to do. What is the will of God for our life? What is the will of God for the church? How has he called us? Just as he's called David and just as Jesus did, how has he called us to represent his kingdom to the world in the midst of internal opposition? So as I think about the church today, I have five examples of what I think is childish faith inside the church, not just Grace Hill, overall, led by enemies of the church. Five examples that I just wanna, I'm gonna run through quickly. I just have to name them, give some specific examples and move on. I can't, you know, preach a sermon for each of these, although I'd like to. But five examples. And, and why am I doing this? What's the purpose? Number one, I, I, I know that there's many of you here and, and those um, outside of here who um, you, you're really doubting your faith because of the things that you've seen some of these enemies of the kingdom do inside the church. And you're going, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I feel that. And so I, I hope this morning that this is some affirmation for you as you wrestle with that. And, and the second reason is I want to lead Grace Hill Church to, to do the will of God, to, to represent God's kingdom faithfully here, despite any opposition that might come, especially internal, because it's the most dangerous Five examples of what I think is childish faith that I've seen in the church, this is me, that I've seen in the church at large, led by enemies of the church. Here's number one. The first one is this, an astounding lack of empathy for people. Just an astounding lack of empathy for people. It's amazing in the era of social media how the church can shame and stigmatize so many people. Like the way we've stigmatized mental health. Uh, the way that we require, and I'm saying we as broad church, so, so I'm not saying we as just Grace Hill. The way that we require minorities to explain themselves over and over and over again for us to think about validating their experience. The way we stigmatize things like substance abuse. The way we label each other and push each other into corners around politics. The way we criticize the poor and the marginalized for not making good life choices. It's, it's everywhere. And so I think of Luke chapter 13. Where the religious come to Jesus and they say, of course I'm welcome in the kingdom, right? I should be first in the kingdom. Because, man, we were around Jesus when you were ministering and we ate in your presence and we have the tradition and we have the pedigree to get into the kingdom and they have no empathy for those outside as evidenced by the Gospels. And Jesus says, I, I, I don't know who you are. You didn't do the will of my Father. Gospels are filled with the religious 
throwing childish tantrums over the empathy that Jesus would show people and they have no self-examination in their own hearts. How many times do we read over and over and over again of internal people going, Jesus, I have a problem with you ministering to that person. I have a problem that you heal them. I have a problem that you're eating at their house. Over and over and over again, an astounding lack of empathy, and it exists in the church today. And at Grace Hill, this is exactly why we are doing the work, and we're gonna continue to do the work, of practicing and learning how to hear and listen to each other's stories. Because the church has a massive problem of labeling people before we know anything about them, before we even hear their story. And so the will of God for you and this church is that we would love one another as Christ has loved us and we would love our neighbors in the exact same way. That's the will of God. That's how we represent his kingdom. And when we take the time to hear each other's stories, and not just for 20 minutes, that's just the beginning. When we take the time to really know one another, it builds empathy. And by the way, that's exactly how we reach our neighbors. Same process. I gotta move on. Number two. Number two, so another example of childish faith I've seen in the church is this. Uh, giving every single excuse in the world not to serve the poor and marginalized. Like overthinking this, over philosophizing on this, over putting protocols and red tape into place before we just serve the poor and marginalized. And I think Matthew 25 is just really clear I mean, when you, if you want to follow Jesus, church, and there's going to be a lot of internal enemies who try to get us out of this, but you can't read the New Testament and come out of it going, it's okay if we don't serve the poor. I mean, Jesus is so clear. This isn't about philosophy. This is about the flow of mercy in understanding it that we as followers of Jesus have received abundant, overflowing, some would even say a scandalous amount of mercy from God in Christ. That we did not deserve his love, we did not deserve his acceptance, but Christ came, gave his life so that we could be children of God, representatives of his kingdom for eternity, and we are called to take that same amount, that stupid amount of mercy, and give it to others especially the poor, marginalized, and oppressed. And I've heard every excuse not to do that. Well, I don't know if they're gonna use the money to buy drugs or alcohol. I don't know, you don't know that, don't worry about it. Well, I don't know if, you know, what if we set them up to be dependent? Well, I don't know, don't worry about it. Well, I, you know, I don't know, I mean, it could be dangerous. I've just heard every single excuse. I don't know, that might mean that it, that might put us on a slippery slope to some political end that we don't wanna be on. I've heard everyone. And I just wanna lead us to go, hey, if we're gonna err on any side of this, it's gotta be mercy. Not thinking it over and over and over again. Childlike faith is going, God, what have you told me to do? Okay, you deal with the details, we're just gonna go do it. And childish faith says, no, God, I don't want to do that. And throwing a temper tantrum and finding every excuse not to do it. Number three, 
Example of childish faith, quarreling over doctrine. Now, doctrine's important. It's very important. We should be clear. We should be robust in our doctrine. But the church is so good at shooting their own over this stuff. Fighting over doctrine has become an excuse in the the big C church to be jerks to one another, to throw out the fruits of the spirit, to assume the worst in one another. It has severely damaged the witness of the church. Man, the temper tantrums that I have seen over minor doctrinal disputes is incredible. And I'm reminded of Matthew chapter seven, where these people go to Jesus, Lord, Lord, look at all we did in your name and we accomplished these works and we performed these miracles in your name. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. You didn't do the will of my father. And I just wonder how many people are gonna go before the Lord and say, I fought the good fight of doctrine. And God's like, hey, Good for you, but the will of my Father is that you would love one another as Christ has loved you and love your neighbor in the same way, and you didn't do that. Quirling over doctrine. Reminded of John chapter nine when, I don't have time to do ad-lib stuff. I'm reminded of John chapter nine of when um, Jesus and the disciples come upon a blind man. And what's the instinct of the disciples growing up in their faith? Hey, what did he or his parents do wrong? How did they sin that now they're blind? And Jesus, you know, he's so patient and kind. And of course, what does Jesus do? He heals them, and what do the Pharisees do? They throw a temper tantrum that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Our doctrine says you can't heal on the Sabbath. (laughs) And Jesus says, the will of my Father is that you would love one another as I have loved you and love your neighbor in the same way. Number four, an addiction to political power. Hang with me on this. For all of history, the people of God, whether that was the nation of Israel or whether that was the church itself, has been addicted to the idea of getting political power. And listen, it logically makes sense. If we get power, then we can use that to do good things and to advance the faith and all of this stuff. Man, what a great way to represent God's kingdom by literally taking over the kingdoms of the earth and doing it there. I get the logic. But for all of history, it's been disastrous. Disastrous. And so I think of Matthew 7 and I think of Luke 13 where people are going, look at all that I have done for you, Jesus. And Jesus is going, you did not follow the will of my Father. Right? We are not going to fulfill God's will through gaining political power, through influencing the Supreme Court, through making sure that we pass laws through. Listen, I didn't say we shouldn't do some of those things, influence Supreme Court, Past laws. So I didn't say we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying we're not going to win the battle there. That's not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has called us to what we say around here all the time at Grace Hill mustard seed sized ministry, local, ordinary, relational, that we would love one another as Christ has loved us and we would love our neighbor in the same way and with childlike faith trust that God the Father is gonna use that to burst that seed into something that would blow our minds. 
That is what it means to live for the kingdom of God in this world. And for so many times, what we'll do is we'll go, no, there's better, faster, more amazing ways that we can do that than the little mustard seed size stuff. I fear there are people in the church today who they don't have their hope and trust in Jesus with childlike faith, but they have hope and trust that one day their religious tribe will gain more power and be able to give them everything they want. So temper tantrums when they don't get it. The church has always been tempted by this pathway. And although being involved in politics can be an amazing ministry, I'm not saying we don't do it, I'm just saying where the work is found, where the will of God is, is mustard seed sized ministry. Last one, I'll just say an individualized faith. I wanna be gentle and kind in this one. You know, I think for, for many of us, because the church has been disappointing or hard, or maybe we've had a hard experience at the church, we've, we've given, us, given ourselves permission to follow Jesus alone. Or maybe because of technology provides this to be way more accessible, we just allow ourselves to practice more of an individualized faith and be less linked into a local church. And I think Matthew chapter seven still applies to this. Hey, Jesus, look at all that I did in your name. And he goes, I, you didn't do the will of my father, which is to love one another as Christ has loved you and love your neighbors in the same way. The will of God for your life is that you would actually commit to a messy, imperfect, disappointing group of people and love them as Jesus has loved you and allow them to love you as Jesus has loved them. And in that process, learning to do the will of God, learning his heart, loving one another, and being a representative of the kingdom, because Jesus says in John chapter 17, when you do that, they're going to see that I actually am the savior. And that requires a childlike faith. Okay, God, I'm gonna trust you with this. I, I, don't, I don't know all the answers of how it works, but I'm gonna trust that you're going to use it. Five examples of childish faith. Now again, why did I go through those? The reason why I went through those is because I want us to, number one, understand that the will of God is very clear for us as the church. It's not confusing. But there are gonna be enemies within who are going to try and stop it. And I know that for many of us, that has caused us to really wonder if the church is something we wanna be a part of or not. And I get it. And I understand it. And I think Jesus saw it too. I think David saw it too. It's also because I want us to lead, I wanna lead Grace Hill Church towards being a church that fulfills the will of God. I'm gonna put a video up on the screen real quick. You may have seen this this week. It was kind of making the rounds a bit. Did you guys see that this week? Uh, so this is from August 3rd, 1992. So it was, you know, I saw it as like on this day, however many years ago. Um, this person running is Derek Redmond. He's a British 
track and field Olympian. This is from the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, and he popped a hamstring in the event. And famously, his dad runs out to help him finish the race. And I'm just gonna let this video loop for a little bit as we talk about it for just a second. And what you see is, eventually you see some enemies come around and say, hey, stop. No, 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 you're not following protocol. You're not doing it right. And I love the dad, like he's gonna fight, right? Like get away from here, because I'm gonna help my son come across this finish line. I think this is a picture of David's faith that we see in Psalm chapter six, a childlike faith. What I love about this video, right, is as Derek is running and trying to finish the race all by himself, you can tell he's in pain, but he's holding it together. And then his dad comes and embraces and helps him, and what happens? The emotion just comes out. He has the freedom, he has the safety, he has the permission all of a sudden because his dad is there to help him. Life is hard, life is painful. We're gonna have experiences that we don't always understand. We're gonna have experiences that aren't always gonna perfectly line up with what we believe about faith. And there's a God who understands. There is a God who wants to hear your prayers that are unfiltered. There's a God who loves you and is going to keep the enemies away. But here's the other thing I want us to see in the video is that in the same way God loves us like this, we are called to love one another and our neighbor in the same way. If you look to your left and your right, life is hard for them. So many unspoken pieces of grief and anxiety in this room today. So many questions. Can I trust these people? Can I trust that guy on the stage right now? Can I trust this church to be able to hold and to carry the questions that I have, the doubts that I have, the pain that I have, the frustration with the church that I have? Can I, can I trust? Is this a safe place to go, and, and we are called, the will of God for our life is that we would love one another in the exact same way that God loves us. And there are gonna be enemies that come and say, no, 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 that's not the right way to do it. No, 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 no. That, I mean, that's not, you know, they don't have the right politics for them to love them that way. No, 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 that person is toxic. No, 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 don't, don't love them in that way. We don't know who they are. They might be dangerous. They make me feel uncomfortable. I don't know what it is, but the will of God for us is to swat those people away, just like the Father does here. Get away. The will of God is to do this. Love one another as Christ has loved us and love our neighbors in the same way. It's so simple, and yet so many inside the church will figure out ways to get you to stop. You know why? Because the enemy is so smart. He knows that the way to assault the church is not from the outside, it's from the inside. You can pull down the video if you want, Dana, thank you. Let me, oh man, I went way over, I'm so sorry. Let me just say this. Have you... Have you been stigmatized, labeled, hurt, pushed away, unheard 
inside the church. I want you to know that our heart here at Grace Hill is we want to do the will of God and we will not be perfect at it. But the mission of our church is that we would be a diverse community that follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. And we put that together so intentionally because we wanted to point who we are when it comes to discipling this body and when it comes to reaching our neighbors. We wanted to point everything at the fact that we're gonna follow Jesus. We're just gonna do it how he did it, no matter what the other, the enemies and those who don't want us to do it say. And then we're gonna love people because that's exactly what we've been called to do. It's crystal clear in scripture. And we've got to be a safe place to be known because when we are a safe place to be known, then we have empathy. And if we are a safe place to be known, then this is a place where you can really bring your struggles and questions and frustrations. And if we are safe to be known, then we're going to actually love one another over petty things like doctrinal disputes or ministry philosophy or politics or power grabs or whatever it is. And we know very much so that that means this church will stay smaller because it's mustard seed sized ministry. And not saying larger churches can't do it. Not, I'm fine with large churches. And if God grows this church to be large, that's his will. I'm just saying we know that that kind of ministry means intentionality with one another to be a safe place to be known. And so I just wanna pray for you, I wanna pray for our church, that we would be a place that's on guard from the enemies within, that, that we would be a place that's serious about the will of God, and that this would be a place that we follow Jesus, love people, and are safe to be known. Let me pray. God, as I prayed in the beginning, I, I just pray for those who have a hard time trusting the church. I, I just so feel for them. I relate in so many ways. And God, I just pray that you, by your spirit right now, would minister to them in just a very specific way. But God, I just pray for our church, Lord. And, and, and number one, I, God, I just wanna thank you for this church. God, I confess that sometimes my passion can come out And God, I'm just blown away by the ways in which I've seen this church love people and their neighbors. Just blown away by the space that this church has given people to be broken and banged up. Blown away by the ways in which this church has been a safe place for people who don't know everything they believe yet. Just blown away by these people, God, and how they've loved me and my family. And so God, I just pray for Grace Hill, that Lord, that you would continue to give us the self-awareness, that you would continue to give us the, 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 the belief in your word to com continue to do your will, as I believe we are already doing. And as challenges come, that God, we would be long-suffering with one another, and we'd love one another. And God, I just pray that you would give us the ability to minister well to people who've been hurt by the church and hurt by the enemies within. Help us to be faithful, God. Help us to be faithful to the things that you've called us to. We love you.
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.